What's up, ladies, gents, and everyone in between? Welcome back to another episode of the Empowered Athlete Podcast. It is your host, Natty Boss, and today what I want to cover and talk about is building muscle. So I know that weight loss is something that's very common in our sport because we have a weight-based sport and cutting weight is always something that we're concerned with, but the reality is that many of you may also want to build muscle and there's many people who struggle to build muscle and that is their primary goal. So maybe your goal is to get into a higher weight class and not feel weak in that weight class, but actually feel like you are strong and can hold your own in that weight class. And the only way to do so is potentially building muscle so that you can actually be comparable to the people who are going to be increased in size in an increased weight class. So before we dive into the 10 rules for building muscle, I really took the time to really get into the nitty gritty details so that I could really give you tangible things for you to integrate as always. But it's important to know a couple things before we start. The first is if you desire to build muscle, you must commit to building muscle. So this is really important. It's very simple, but people really overlook this. They only go half in when it comes to building muscle. They don't really dedicate the time, energy, and nutrition that's really required in order to build muscle. We're talking about building muscle tissue, building mass on your body. I say this all the time. I really believe building muscle is harder than losing fat because building muscle really takes a lot of energy to add these layers to your body. So you really need to be all in. You really need to commit fully to building muscle. And that means rearranging what your training looks like, um, really rearranging what your strength training looks like, which we'll dive into some of these things for sure, because it's going to be a huge part of it. But ultimately, just mentally, you need to commit And part of that commitment is also going to be accepting, accepting that you are also going to most likely gain some fat as you build muscle. In a perfect world, I wish we could just solely build muscle, but we're, that's not really the case. We're going to be putting on some fat. I'm going to give you some tools, of course, and strategies for minimizing the fat so that you're primarily putting on muscle and not just fat. Um, That's going to be really nutrition related but you will gain some fat. It's a natural part of the process and you have to accept that, but you can absolutely minimize the amount of fat that you gain. And that's what I want to share with you. But you have to first, like I said, come into acceptance that you're likely going to gain some fat. And so also coming into acceptance that you're also going to see the weight on the, the, your weight and the number on the scale increase. And this actually makes sense, right? Because you're actually, your goal here is to put on muscle. So that means that your weight is going to increase as well. So if you really struggle with looking at the scale and seeing it increase, you really need to shift your mindset and tell yourself that you're in a phase of growth, right? And you're wanting to get stronger. You're wanting to be more fit and athletic and muscular. And with that's going to come a release, a letting go of whatever number you have fixated in your mind that you need to be. Especially if, as I said, you are looking to enter a higher weight class. Well, ultimately you're looking to gain some weight because you want to fit 
within that weight class relatively, right? You don't want to be in a featherweight division that's, you know, 120, maybe to 129, and then you're sitting at 100 pounds. Like you want to actually put on muscle so you actually fit there. And then you're also going to feel stronger and more powerful as well. So really coming to acceptance that the number will be shifting on the scale. So whether you have to put that scale away because you don't really have the right mindset for it yet, then I absolutely recommend that. Or if you can release that old belief of what you need to weigh and really focus on just building the muscle, then this can absolutely work for you. The other thing is... If muscle size is what you're aiming for, I recommend getting a tape measure to track your progress of growth. This is going to be the best indication of the actual size that you're building. So you can measure yourself and track it every week, every couple weeks as you enter a routine with your nutrition, as well as your weight training and strength training and other cross training that you're doing. Um, And you can utilize this measurement to track your butt size, your biceps, your shoulders, your legs. So these are some of the primary areas where you can use your tape measure to track your progress. So I just wanted to say these things up front so that you can kind of be prepared when it comes to building muscle, because this is a commitment you have to make. Like I said, building muscle is not easy and it's not something you can do you know, for one day, eat a surplus of calories and lift weights and expect to build muscle. You need to be in it for a consistent period of time to actually see that progress. So without further ado, we will dive into our 10 rules for building muscle. The first is eat a surplus of calories. So in order to lose weight, we must be in a deficit. So If we're looking to gain muscle mass, aka weight, in the form of muscle, we need to eat in a surplus. So we need to eat more than what our body recommends after we've also trained. So including your training is really important to assess accurately what are the calories that you're burning. And then you need to add to that to get to a surplus so that surplus of energy can actually be used for anabolism, which is the building of muscle tissue. So rule number one is eating in a surplus of calories. So you can, the recommendation is just, once you find out what that baseline is, you can just tack on three to 500 calories daily, or you can do it within a specific window. So if you want to build 10 pounds of muscle in six months, that would be 35,000 calories that you would be needing to eat more of. And if we divide that by the six-month period, which is 180 days, then that's an additional 194 calories or round it up to 200. So you can be very specific in that way. And if you really want to be like, okay, by this date, I want to build this much muscle, then this is what I require as extra. And if you think about it, right, 200 calories is nothing. It's literally an apple with peanut butter and jelly. Like that's 200 calories. So it's really easy to integrate. And I think people do it wrong a lot of the times because they just think they, they may know this general concept of having a surplus of calories, but they're doing it in the wrong way and the wrong foods that they're choosing, which puts on more fat, even if the weight is going up and they think they're building the muscle, it might be a higher fat to muscle ratio, right? So we really want to be a higher muscle to fat ratio as an athlete to reduce our drag so we can actually still perform, still move quickly and swiftly. And 
have better reaction time and all of those things. So you can use the general rule of thumb, like I said, where you just choose up to 500 calories daily. But as you saw or heard rather in the example that I gave with 10 pounds in six months, that might only be 200 extra calories. So you might not need the 500 calories. So it might be worth doing more of the calculation to see what you want if you want to be within a specific time frame. But you could also just pick one of those additional calorie numbers to tack on to your baseline and then just make sure that you're committing to that. So what I would highly recommend is starting with tracking, okay? Because you cannot assess what's working if you're not tracking. So tracking your food is going to be really critical to ensure that you are getting the calories you need. So many athletes are already under eating and they're grossly underestimating the calories that they're eating. They think they're eating twice as much than they actually are. So tracking is really going to give you accuracy of what you're eating and also an allowance and a permission because when you notice, wow, I require 1800 and I'm at 1600, I have 200 more calories that I get to work with. And I thought I was completely kept tapped out for the day. So it really just helps you fine tune that. And then over time, when you become really attuned to your body, you can as always transition into a more intuitive eating approach. When you find the meals that work for you, the snacks that work for you, and you kind of just have that picture in your mind, you can start to create your meals knowing that it's going to be the right amount for what you need. But I highly recommend for people starting off, track it so that you can find that consistency first. This is going to be a huge piece of that. So to give an example real quick of this surplus of calories, as I had mentioned, say your baseline's 1800. If you wanted to add the additional 200 based on the example I gave, then your calories would be 2000. And say for somebody bigger, their baseline is 2500 calories baseline, then they would add the 200 and it would be 2700 calories. So really simple math. So yay. I know I've had some podcasts with a little bit more complicated math, but this is pretty simple. So this is good news. So the other thing, and I had hinted at it, but I wanted to speak to it even more under this first rule of eating a surplus of calories is the quality of calories that we're eating. Quality matters. If you want to avoid gaining fat, as much as possible. You need to focus on lean, whole food, whole food sources of protein, okay? And even carbohydrate. So you want to stick to really clean food so that your body's getting the nutrients that it needs to fuel your metabolism and build that muscle. And the more processed food we eat, the more likely we're going to gain fat in this process alongside muscle. But like I said, our goal is to minimize that fat as much as possible. So Again, quality matters. So stick to lean whole food sources, whether you're plant-based or whether you're an animal eater, then you know what to do as far as the different types of protein to consume. So an example here of what people often do is say, oh, well, I'm in the process of building muscle, so I'm just going to eat a whole pizza. Well, we're not really considering the, the fact that the carbs are simple carbs, that there's a lot of fat on the cheese of pizza, as well as if you're loading up with excess protein because you think that protein is what you need primarily for building muscle, there's a hell of, uh, element of truth in that, but it's not 100% true. It's not protein 
as your primary source, like having a high protein diet is going to build muscle. Your body can only process so much protein. And we're actually going to talk about that. But people who order pizza with sausage and pepperoni on top, it's a lot of fat. So that's easily stored as fat in the body. So stick to leaner proteins and minimize processed food as much as possible. And this is actually going to be a little challenging because when we're sticking to cleaner foods, most cleaner foods are lower in calorie. So if we require 2,700 calories, that's really going to be a lot of food that you need to consume. And so it's not that processed foods are off the table because there are healthy processed foods that can also be absolutely part of a sports diet, such as protein bars and protein powders or granola bars as quick energy for a pre-workout. So there's definitely packaged food that you can have. It's don't make that the primary source of your diet, right? It needs to be the 80-20 rule. So 80% is going to be the clean foods and the 20% is going to make room for the other foods that you like to enjoy that are more processed and more convenient to be honest, right? Because also we're, we're living life, we're having jobs, we're being full-time athletes perhaps. And so we're constantly on the go or at least training a lot or from one thing to the other. So having some convenience foods is going to be important because at the end of the day, As I said, if you desire to build the muscle, you need to be in a surplus. So you need to prioritize nutrition like it is your job because it really truly is. Like the nutrition part is more important than the training part because you can work out in the gym as much as you want, but if you do not have the excess fuel to fuel your body, you will not be able to build the muscle tissue. So it's imperative that you take the time to plan, prioritize, and organize what your week and days are going to look like and what your nutrition is going to look like within all of that so that you can set yourself up for success towards this goal. So number two is an adequate total daily protein. So everybody's different protein needs, but the general recommendation is going to be 1.4 to 2.0 grams per kg per day. So there's different variables that you can choose. Some people might want to choose 2.0 right off the bat. Um, But what the latest research kind of says is that the body absorbs protein the best at the 1.5 to 1.6 mark. Um, Athletes who are injured, athletes that are post-surgery or even sick or are plant-based athletes, they sometimes recommend increasing that to 1.8 to 2.0. Or if you're an athlete who is full-time and you are training three, four times a day, then definitely the 2.0 may be more supportive so that you can actually really try to replete those protein stores that are getting utilized in that hard training. So those are some considerations as far as what number to go with. I rarely put people at 1.4. Usually when we're working with clients and students, we're sticking to the 1.5, 1.6. If they have the other considerations that I had mentioned, then we'll be going on the higher range. But this is rule number two for building muscle is making sure that your protein stays within this. So if you calculate this for yourself, you may actually be surprised because so many people that I know are severely overeating protein. They are completely over this limit. And there's no um, evidence that eating more is actually going to, than what's recommended is actually going to build muscle. Actually, the contrary is that 
it's just going to be spilled over into our bloodstream and we're just going to have a lot of nitrogenous waste floating around because the body's not able to process it. So it's actually doing you a disservice to eat more than the recommended amount. So I really recommend, I cannot recommend it enough that you stay within this parameter. Now within the total daily protein, dividing it up equally also matters or at least dividing it up and distributing it throughout the day matters. So if you require, say, 120 grams of protein, eating all of that in one meal is not actually going to work for you. The body only absorbs, ideally, 20 to 35 grams. 25 to 35 grams is going to be the sweet spot of protein per sitting. So you have to divide that and figure out, based off what your uh, your protein needs are, how many meals do you need to have and snacks you need to have to make sure that you're hitting that protein goal. And so that may give you this permission to actually notice, oh, wow, I can actually eat three snacks additional to my meals. That's incredible, right? Or we can just bulk up um, our meals. If you're already under eating protein at a meal, if you're only hitting 15 grams, you can double that. And that's an easy just portion increase. So meal timing and distribution is rule number three for protein. So we're still on protein here. So again, the recommendation is between 25 to 35 grams per meal and to eat potentially every four hours. Whenever we get to this five, six and beyond hour time frame, the body starts to kind of shift into a starvation mode. It doesn't know when you're going to be eating so it may, the next time you eat, not really utilize that protein as efficiently as it could and go to the muscle building. It'll go because it's starting to potentially store um, into fat because it doesn't know if it's going to be fueled again, because that is the survival mechanism of the body to ensure that we will survive. It's going to store as much fat as possible. So to prevent that from happening, eating every four hours, whether it's a meal, whether it's a snack is critical. It's a critical part of meal timing. That's going to optimize your performance, your energy, your digestion, and your recovery. Plus it's going to support you in the muscle building phase. So rule number four for building muscle is going to be to prioritize rest, prioritize rest. And I'm going to go to some examples of different splits. So if you are integrating a strength training program of some kind, if you're doing a three-day split, which means that you are at the gym three days a week working different muscle groups or doing compound movements, whatever it is, you're pretty good as far as having a lot of uh, rest within your schedule, right? Because there's seven days in a week, you're working out three of those days. So you have four days of potentially resting. Now, obviously, if you're doing jujitsu, you need to integrate rest as well. So I would recommend at least two days of rest per week. And you want to alternate that um, after particularly high intensity days so that your body can truly rest. And if you are doing a five-day split, now obviously there's tons of different splits, right? There's three, four, five, six days. So I am just kind of speaking to what I recommend as jujitsu athletes, sticking to a three or five-day split. And let, you know, if you're a bodybuilder, generally you do six-day splits. When I was a bodybuilder, um, I did figure bodybuilding. 
um, six days a week was where I was at the gym. But we are jujitsu athletes. So we're doing jujitsu and we're also utilizing this accompanying form of movement, this strength training to support us in building our muscle and also staying healthy. So we need to consider all the calories that we're constantly burning. So we need to rest. So if you have a five day split, you want to integrate those other two days as your rest day. And you can do this again, alternating. I definitely recommend alternating more than just dumping it at the end of the week. A lot of people will perhaps lift Monday through Friday, take off Saturday, Sunday, but your performance throughout the week may not actually be as good as it could because your body is constantly beaten down throughout the week. So if you could actually break that up and do a rest day on Sunday and then maybe another one on Wednesday or Thursday, then your body's going to be able to rest and recover in between those hard trainings. And you'll be able to come back into your next training session, more fueled, more rested. And you're going to actually get better numbers when it comes to like your sets and your reps, because your body actually has rested. When it comes to rest, what we're talking about is the anabolic phase. And I mentioned this earlier, I said anabolism. Rest is essential for muscle growth. And what exercise actually does, because this is the biggest misconception, is that when athletes are training in the gym as far as lifting weights, they think that it's the lifting weights that's actually building the muscle. That's absolutely wrong. That's actually breaking down your muscle. Exercise creates microscopic tears in our muscle tissue. And it's only during rest that the cells called fibroblasts, actually repair the muscle tissue. And this helps the tissue to heal and grow, resulting in stronger and bigger muscles. So rest is a key part for muscle growth. Again, we're talking about building muscle here, building muscle tissue. So rest is, I mean, seriously, if not more important, as important as the lifting or, um, training part of it. It really, really is. And so many athletes underlook this because it just feels better to be in the gym pumping iron and we feel strong. Our veins are showing, but we have to be, as I said, radically committed to this, which means you're also radically committing to the recovery and rest that's necessary in order for you to see the results that you want to see. So again, when we are in exercise mode, we're in the catabolic state. Our muscles are breaking down. So in rest, we shift into the anabolic phase, the anabolic state, and this is where the actual growth happens. So I cannot hound enough to prioritize rest because it's critical when it comes to building muscle. So as I mentioned, just as far as the days to take off, taking two or three days off from intense exercise each week will actually, um, taking off there as well as maybe integrating some active recovery. So very gentle, like nothing that will burn calories, really just like foam rolling, some gentle movement, some mobility work, just to kind of keep that lactic acid from building up and just move the muscles, keep the oxygen flowing and everything like that. This will also allow your blood to flow to help facilitate muscle repair. So you can on those rest days, integrate, like I said, some of that active light recovery mobility work, you know, but I also recommend a day of complete rest doing nothing, but you don't have to completely rest for three days 
in that week, you can integrate some active recovery within that, which actually helps, as I said, to get the blood flowing, reduce lactic acid buildup and facilitate muscle repair. So that's good news for those who have anxiety around taking off and they have no idea what to do with themselves. The good news is you can integrate some movement, but don't make it intense. It needs to be very mild because your goal is not actually burning calories. Your goal is to facilitate your recovery process. Okay. The fifth rule for building muscle is integrating hypertrophic training. This is something I'm really passionate about. This is actually a bodybuilding style of lifting. And I really believe this is the most efficient and effective way to build muscle. And there's a reason why bodybuilders do it, right? Because it really works. The science behind hypertrophy works. And hypertrophy focuses more on moderate weight and moderate reps. And the sweet spot is generally three to four sets of 10 to 12 reps. Something that I usually aim for is four sets of 12 reps. So I'm usually on the higher end. And that's something that I really focus on to build muscle is staying within that range. You could do three sets and 12 reps, whatever feels best for you. If you're a beginner, maybe you start with three, but if you're an advanced athlete at four sets is absolutely doable because your body's already conditioned to lifting weights. But whatever it is, whatever you decide to start with in each case, the key is to use the heaviest resistance that will allow you to complete all of your reps and sets with good form. Okay, so you want to make sure that you are using a resistance that's going to allow you to complete your reps. You don't want to go to where if you're aiming for 12 reps, you can only make it to eight, then you're pushing too hard too fast. Your body isn't ready for it. Okay, we're going to talk about this in a second because this is called um, progressive overload and slowly increasing that. Um, but just specifically to this point, cause we're going to dive into some more training specifics, but I just really wanted to hound on this rule being integrating hypertrophic training. So really creating a workout plan or going to a personal trainer, going to an athletic trainer that can create one for you and, um, create this type of plan of four sets, 12 reps and with hypertrophic, depending on your split, you need to consider um, also, number one, what your goal is. So if you want to build stronger legs, you might need to integrate more leg days. If you want to build, I recommend really balancing upper body, lower body. So you have a balanced physique and you're not top heavy or bottom heavy. I really recommend that. So maybe if you wanted to, a four day split might be best. And then you can split that from upper body, lower body, rest, upper body, lower body. That's an option that you can do as well. And then sticking to this format of the three to four sets of 10 to 12 reps. So this is a general recommendation, but I highly recommend it for hypertrophic training. And when you are, I'll talk about it a little bit more, but you also want to focus on integrating both compound and accessory movements. So the compound are full body movements such as deadlifts and squats and overhead presses. And then more accessory movements are things like bicep curls and leg extensions. So an exercise program that integrates both of those 
are really going to help you build strength and also build muscle in specific areas as well. Because if you just do shoulder press constantly, you're obviously not going to get bigger biceps. So you do need to wear and tear the muscle tissue in the bicep for that to become bigger. So the combination of both is what I found has been the sweet spot. So to move on to rule number six for building muscle is to integrate progressive overload. And progressive overloading is when you gradually increase the weight, frequency, or number of reps in your strength training routine. This challenges your body and allows your muscular skeletal system to get stronger over time. I recommend changing one thing at a time. So as I recommend, or as I said, that you can increase the weight, you can increase the frequency, which is how often you're doing it, or the number of reps but really focus on one so that you have a benchmark and you have more room to work with in the future to constantly put new wear and tear on that muscle tissue, perhaps by doing even the same exercise, but you are changing it by increasing rep or increasing weight, which is still going to apply a different type of tension and break down to your muscle. So I want to give an example here of what I mean. So say that you're starting with a 20 pound bicep curl at 12 reps or say it's at 10 reps, right? You're, you're banging out 20 pounds of bicep curls at 10 reps. Then what you're going to do is if that becomes easy, you're going to challenge yourself to increase that to 12 reps. So increase that to 12 reps. Then you stick with that for a couple weeks or until it becomes easy. Then once you're there, because we're sticking to the hypertrophic rule, you can challenge yourself to increase that weight to 25 pounds and then go back to 10 reps. Work it out. Make sure that it feels like there is, as I said, like that chronic tension and it's not easy, but it's actually providing that stress. Like you have to work for it. It doesn't, you don't want these, these weights to be easy. You shouldn't be pumping them out. And I'm going to go into detail of what that time frame should look like to determine the right weight for you to make sure that you're not going too heavy or too light. So don't worry, I'm going to get there. Um, but you're going to increase it to 25 pounds at 10 reps. Then you can further increase that to the same weight, but increase it to 12 reps. And then once you hit that, you can challenge yourself to go up to 30 pounds back to 10 reps and then increase it to 12 reps. And over the course of this increase, this might be, let's say two months, two months of maybe the same bicep curl, but you're gradually increasing this weight. That's not a golden rule by any means, but because my next tip here is to focus on the same weight and reps for two weeks at a time before increasing or until it becomes too easy. So say you're really struggling with 30 pounds at 10 reps for greater than two weeks, then okay, that's where you have to stay for another week, another two weeks until it becomes easy. And then you can increase that rep before going on to the next weight. I think people get really impatient and they try to just jump to a really heavy weight. But if we're sticking to this hypertrophic rule, which is proven to build muscle, then we want to make sure we're getting to that 12 rep range. And if you're not able to get that because you're at such a heavy weight, then I would really recommend going down in weight and focus on quality form and quality reps for that 10 to 12, again, until it becomes easy. And I'm going to go into more detail with that now as we transition into rule number seven. So a lot of these are interconnected, right? Because a lot of this is related to specific strength training, but these are little details and nuances that are really going to change the game. 
The next is pushing yourself to failure. Okay. So you want to push yourself to failure. So in other words, because we're sticking to that 10 to 12 rep range, we want those last three reps to be difficult, very, very challenging, but not impossible. So impossible means you're doing a bicep curl and you can't bring your hand up all the way. It stops halfway. That means you weren't able to complete the repetition. That means that you went too far. You have to be able to come at that halfway mark and then still be able to get that last final burst to the top. That's still a complete rep. That still counts. And that's what we call working till failure. So the last three reps should be challenging. So if you're working with, as I had mentioned, the 10 rep range, so the seventh, uh, the eighth, ninth, and 10th rep should be challenging. It should not be easy breezy right through it. So that's something to look at when I say when it becomes easy, when you're just banging out 10 reps and there's no struggle there, then it's time for you to go up in weight because you want those last three reps to be to failure. This is something I learned back in college. I had a bodybuilder friend and we, I worked at the gym. So we constantly talked about building muscle and all things bros stuff that was just super gym ratty. And he had told me that a good kind of benchmark for knowing your weight is going to be being able to complete 12 reps in 45 seconds. So what you can do to determine your weight, if you're starting off, is to set a timer or a stopwatch, whatever you want to do. I would say maybe a stopwatch, actually, because I want you to just perform 12 reps. <laughs> so pick, say, a 10-pound weight and just do 12 reps of it. If you get that done in 20 seconds, then that's a sign that you can start your starting weight at a higher weight. Now, say the opposite. Say you pick up a 30-pound weight and you do some bicep curls. And when you get to the 12th rep, it's been 55 seconds. That means that you're struggling more than you have to. So you want to go back down to a lighter weight, maybe 25 reps. And that might be your sweet spot of where you want to start to really develop, again, that good form and that appropriate muscle tension for those reps, because it's important to have the good form when you're doing the reps. You know, if you're just doing lazy form, it's just like anything, right? When you're drilling lazily, you're not actually going to be able to apply it and perform. You need perfect form creates perfect results. So you need to make sure that you go down to the appropriate weight or up to the appropriate weight, whatever that's going to be for you. And a good rule of thumb is for that 12 reps in 45 seconds. So let that be your starting point. And then you'll be able to determine what your starting weight is. And then from there, you go back to that rule number seven of just being able to push yourself to failure for those last three reps. Now, the rule number eight is going to be about switching up your workout routine. So we can't perpetually keep the exact same workout plan for the rest of our life because our body will adapt. Our body will adapt and it'll all become easy. It might not feel that way in the beginning and it won't because it's not, but it absolutely will adapt and it'll become too easy. The body doesn't have any type of kind of guessing with it to try to recalibrate and to try to work with this new movement pattern because we're doing the same movement pattern. So the recommendation is to switch up your workout routine or your lifting routine every four to six weeks. And oftentimes if you get a good personal trainer, you're probably going to be put on a four to six week lifting plan before it switches up for this reason. 
So as I had mentioned earlier, part of this routine, you want to make sure integrates compound movements, which are full body movements, as well as accessory movements as well. And when it comes to switching up your routine, it doesn't have to be drastically different, but it's changing things up. For instance, if you have been doing shoulder raises, lateral shoulder raises as part of a shoulder exercise for your shoulder building routine, maybe you switch that to Arnold presses, right? So you're just still focusing on a shoulder exercise, but you're changing it up, which is going to make your nervous system have to work a little bit differently. And that's going to put stress on the body because the body's trying to figure out how do I do this now? This is something new that I'm not used to. And this is what helps us facilitate that growth. So switching up your workout routine every four to six weeks is definitely something I recommend. And if you can create that plan, then you're going to be set up for success. So again, maybe you want to do, um, if you're going to do maybe a couple months or like a four month lifting routine, that's going to require switching it up, right? Every month or month and a half. And again, it doesn't have to scare you by like, Oh, I can't think of any more exercises. Just, you can switch up just a couple in your routine. And that's enough for the nervous system to still have to work a little bit differently to adapt to this new movement pattern that you're integrating it with. So this is a great way to build muscle because your body is not getting complacent. It's constantly being challenged and therefore it's going to be forced to adapt and to grow. So moving on to rule number nine is to replace lists with hit. Lists is low intensity steady state cardio, which is often associated with cycling or the treadmill, with HIT, which is high intensity interval training. If you guys been with me for a minute, you guys know how passionate I am about HIT. <laughs> and I have a HIT for BJJ program because I believe it's literally such an incredible form of cross training for jujitsu for so many reasons. And there are benefits to lists. So I will definitely highlight that so I don't completely shut it. But I really recommend replacing just constantly doing low-level treadmill or cycling with a form of HIT um, for a few reasons that I'm going to explain. So with HIT, there's a steady calorie burn throughout the day due to the increase in metabolic rate that happens when we do high-intensity interval training. High intensity interval training increases your metabolic rate, which increases your fat burning potential throughout the day, in addition to burning more calories. So you're burning more calories throughout the day and you can absolutely still build muscle with it. You just need to account for that style of training and the activity factor of how often you're doing it to assess your accurate cal caloric baseline so that you can accurately add the surplus of calories to ensure that you're still going to be in that muscle building, right? Because it can absolutely burn and it will, and the studies and research has proven that HIT will burn more calories throughout the day. It's more steady burn of calories throughout the day. So when you're just sitting on the couch, if you integrate HIT throughout your week, you will burn more calories resting on the couch than somebody who does not do HIT. So that's really helpful because when our body's at rest, we burn fat. So this is where we can kind of burn excess fat without really doing much is by increasing the muscle that we build and that muscles, including with HIT, going to be able to burn fat without us having to intentionally do anything about it. 
obviously again, diet plays a huge role. So just inserting that reminder, but when it comes to hit, these are also shorter workouts, you know, 20 minute workouts maximum. And these focus on more explosiveness as far as the exercises. So in a way, HIT is very similar to strength training because with lifting, it's an explosive movement. When you're doing one rep of a squat or a deadlift or a shoulder press, it's a, a very quick movement. And then there's followed periods of rest. And it's the same thing that's happening with HIT, but you're utilizing different movements. For HIT, you're generally may in, utilize calisthenics, right? So burpees or jump squats or things of that nature that are still building muscle and have the capacity to build muscle, but also work your cardio, but you're really improving your explosiveness. And I really am passionate about this because what HIT will work to do is improve and build short twitch muscle fibers. And that's where our explosiveness comes from. And this is essential as an athlete for power in this sport. So we have long twitch muscle fibers and short twitch muscle fibers. And for the explosiveness aspect of jiu-jitsu, we need to develop our short twitch muscle fibers, which HIT absolutely will do for you. And I believe that a good HIT workout should also be working your cardiovascular system as well. 100%. And you can track this. If you have a whoop, I highly recommend it. I've been using it for years and it helps me with recovery, with sleep, um, but also tracking my training and in my training session, where I'm falling as far as my fat burning zone. It'll tell me if it's more of a fat burning zone or a cardiovascular zone. And so you can track that as well, just to see if you are working your cardiovascular system, but a good HIIT workout will be building muscle and integrating exercises that promote muscle building as well as working your cardio as well. So the, you can integrate, you can get your cardio in through hit and you don't have to just say, okay, I have to get cardio in. And then you have to think it's only the treadmill or the bike. That's not true. You can do it in hit. And I recommend it because also it's a great kind of choice to do if maybe you're a little limited due to your lifestyle for doing a five-day training, a uh, strength training split, right? That takes a lot of time in the gym. Oftentimes it's 45 minutes to an hour because you're setting up, you're moving weights, you know, and a lot of us don't have that extra time when we're already doing jujitsu. So it is a great way to integrate a form of resistance training based off your availability. So if you have limited time, or if you're not even interested in lifting traditional weights, you can integrate HIT and still build muscle so long as you're in that surplus. So I really, really recommend integrating HIT and replacing LIS with HIT. When it comes to LIS, which is that low intensity steady state, LIS can be effective, but it requires long periods of time as well. So for LIS to really be effective, you have to at least commit to 30 minutes to up to an hour. So when you're on the treadmill, if you just do the treadmill for 10 minutes, you're not really getting the effects of LIS you need to really commit. And again, that's a long time commitment to usually something that's very boring to us. If we're doing jujitsu, you know, walking on the treadmill is probably really boring or a light jog for an hour is probably really boring. Um, and so, you know, you don't, it's so important to have a sustainable plan that you can follow. And part of that sustainability is going to be enjoyment. So I really recommend replacing list with hit, but other things about list to know is that list um, which differs from HIT in the sense that when you are on the treadmill, you will burn more calories 
on that session. But once the exercise stops, the calorie burn stops immediately. So it's not the same effect as HIT, where you have that steady burn of calories throughout the day. This is just burning the calories off in that session. And as soon as you're done, that's all it is. Now, with less, you do burn more fat in the moment because that's what we're doing with less is it's usually a fat burning modality and it does work your cardio, right? Because we know that to be true, that that's usually the form of cardio that people use. So it will improve your cardiovascular system. And less is also easier on the body and the recovery time is easier because you're not going as intense. With HIT, it's a harder recovery time because you are going 110% as soon as that timer goes on and then you're resting for periods of time and then you're going really, really hard. So it's definitely harder. The recovery can definitely be a little longer because it's just like strength training. And whenever we're doing any type of resistance training, we're going to feel that sore soreness, muscle soreness, because we're working our bodies and we're working our muscles. So just a little bit of a difference between, you know, the differences between lists and hit, but going back to hit for a moment, that's why I really recommend it because it's not only a great way to build muscle, but it's also promoting just a consistent burn of calories throughout the day. Um, and it's also working your explosiveness and your, um, short twitch muscle fibers, which is so critical for jujitsu. I really can't stress that enough. And this is why I feel that, you know, those athletes who are really, explosive and agile and can move and have strength and have muscle, you know, are really integrating hit principles into their cross training. I am willing to bet dollars to donuts that they absolutely will. If you were to ask a professional athlete, they would have some type of hit training scheduled throughout the week because it's so effective. So just some things to consider. And again, my other favorite thing about hit is that it's 20 minutes. So it's so much easier to integrate into your life when you're doing, you know, two training sessions of jujitsu a day than a hit session. You know, when I'm doing an intense day, what I usually do is two different hit sessions, usually right before my two a day training. So if I'm doing a noon class and a night class, I'll do a hit class that I run myself. A hit, I'm just, it's, it's just solo in the class. I'm a hit workout. Um, right before I go, if I, if I have the noon class, I'll probably do it at like 1030, get done and everything by 11 and then leave by 1130 for the class. I do the same thing for my nighttime class and it also acts as a really good warm up. but that's kind of an aside the point extra bonus, but that's kind of what I'll do. And it's easier to integrate 20 minute spurts than it is to commit to an hour, right? Especially if you have to drive somewhere for a strength training routine and you don't have, the comforts of weights in your own home, like I do. Although if you're a committed athlete to jiu-jitsu, you probably have some type of weight in your gym um, because we're addicts. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that is our got uh, rule number nine. And rule number 10 is get adequate sleep. I can't stress it enough. This goes hand in hand with resting, right? And integrating those rest and recovery days, but getting quality sleep, as I always say, between seven and nine quality uninterrupted hours is critical. This gives your muscles the rest they need in order to develop and to grow and to actually, again, shift into that anabolic phase. 
When we sleep, our bodies are flooded with muscle building anabolic hormones, including insulin-like growth factor, IGF, and testosterone, which help to build and repair the damage to our tissues. So when we're getting inadequate sleep, that process is going to be interrupted. And so we won't get the proper recovery that we need to actually build the muscle. So prioritizing sleep is super critical for you to build muscle, should that be your goal. And again, focusing on seven to nine uninterrupted hours, again, using a whoop to track your quality of sleep is also very helpful so that you know, because otherwise you're not really going to know if you slept well, but the whoop will give you statistics based on your heart rate and things like that as it's tracking overnight. So I really can't recommend it enough. And what I'll do is in the show notes, I will put my link to whoop. It's like an affiliate link. Um, if you want to try it out, then you can do that. I've already given it to quite a few of my friends and I want to give it to you too if you want to test the waters and finally dive into Whoop if you've been toying around with it, the idea for a while and haven't jumped in yet. Definitely recommend getting on the bandwagon and I'm not sponsored by them at all, but I would love to be, um, but I am not there yet. So to wrap this episode up, these are the 10 golden rules for building muscle. If you can integrate all 10 of these, I have no doubt in my mind that you'll be able to reach your muscle goals in whatever time frame you have for yourself. But these are tried and true principles that I've integrated in myself over the years. And I'm constantly getting messages about my physique and my athleticism and like how I'm able to build this muscle, how I'm able to bounce back postpartum. This is 100% what I've done. So if there's any hope for you, I hope that you've got it in this episode. If anything stood out to you or resonated with you that was new information or something that you really liked, please share it with us on Instagram. You can tag us at body by boss LLC. We would love to just hear, you know, what you learned. And other than that, take notes, listen to this as many times as you need to share it with a friend, and I will see you in the next episode. Bye for now.